Welcome in to a new year of Think Deeper. We are excited to be joining you uh, in the year 2023. I hope everybody had a very, very happy new year. Good good time celebrating with friends and family. I uh, hope everybody got the chance to go back and, and either watch or listen to our year-end episode. We did a, our uh, very first, I think, Facebook Live episode of Think Deeper, kind of a holiday for fun uh, episode that we really enjoyed, and for those of you who listened, hope you enjoyed it as well. Um, but as we said in that episode, we are tremendously excited for this this year, for 2023. Uh, when it comes to Think Deeper, we were doing kind of a year-end review of what it was, you know, what it was like in 2022 with Think Deeper, kind of where we started versus where we got to, and, and we were really uh, excited to kind of see the growth and to see how many of you enjoy listening, and uh, so again, there's only one way, and that's up, and we're really looking forward to 2023, um, and so with this first uh, episode of the new year, uh, something that we wanted to hit on is kind of, well, let me let me start with this, and I'm going to hand it off to Joe here in just a second to kind of further flesh this out, but we, we've been told, we get a lot of very positive reviews, of course, and we're always grateful to hear your feedback, positive or negative, but one of the negative things that we've kind of been told more than once, in fact, you know, several times is that, man, you guys are just really, really negative. You know, can you, can you talk about anything positive? You're just, you're very negative a lot of the time. And we got to talking about that. We got to kind of thinking about why that is or why, why it might come across that way. And what we wanted to devote this week's episode to is kind of, you think about the church's future. You think about where the church is now versus where we believe the church should get to We've got to have a plan. We've got to have a strategy. We've got to have a blueprint, if you will. You know, for any business, for any organization, if, if you look 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road, and you, you, you have an idea of where you want to be, but you have no idea how you're going to get there, good luck getting there. It's just not going to happen. You have to have a strategy, a plan, or a blueprint. Um, and so that's what we want to devote today's episode to. Um, again, kind of specifically going in the direction of where do we want the church to, and, and when I say we, collectively, where should we want the church to be in 10 years, in 15 years? Because as we'll get into further here in just a second, I hope we can all agree the state of where the church is right now is not really where it should be. Youth dropout rates, churches closing, all that stuff we'll get into here more in just a second. But that's the purpose for this episode is to get into why is that the case and how can we change it? And so, Joe, I do want to hand it off to you to discuss, again, kind of this critique that we get a lot of times about, man, you guys are just really negative. You know, can you ever say anything positive? And so, again... That's that's we received that critique quite a bit, and so Joe, get into a little bit more of how that spurred us on to this particular topic for this week's episode. Yeah, it frustrates me, uh, and and okay, duly noted. Let me just say, duly noted. We've heard that quite a bit. You guys are so or so. I said I should say I'm frustrated. You guys are so negative, right? Um, look, it's really tough to be positive when you look around and go, there's not a lot to be positive about. We look at the state of the church. Well, we're we're staying strong in a lot of areas. Okay, no doubt, no doubt. But I'm really not one of those that is is about resting on laurels, talking about how good we are in the areas where we're great. It would very much be like you know you hear you'd hear stories of Michael Jordan, you hear stories of Sidney Crosby, somebody like that who's great. Those that's that's a hockey person. For I was gonna say you might have to tell our listeners who Sidney who don't Crosby know. Is, yeah, Joe. That's, I, <laughs> I that occurred to me as soon as I said the name. Nobody probably knows who Sidney Crosby is, but. One of the things that makes them great is they would examine their game. They'd watch a ton of, of footage. They would examine their game, and every summer, 
they would come back having worked on something different. So like one year, I remember hearing a story of Michael Jordan. They critiqued his his defense. He came back and won like defensive player of the year because all he worked on that summer was defense, defense, defense. Well, he could go, I'm Michael Jordan. I'm great at shooting, so I'm going to continue to be great at shooting. No, you're great at shooting already. Good for you. What else are you not good at? And so what he would do is he'd, he'd critique his own game and go get better at that. That's what we're looking to do here. I'm not saying we're, you know, there's not parts where we're great at our shooting. But how much do we rest on our laurels before we start moving backwards? Before we stop being great in other areas um, or being great at all? And I think that's really where we're at in the church right now is we've grown to a place where we're losing our clout in the culture. I, I think we've lost our clout in the culture. We're losing so many cultural battles. We're losing our kids, as you alluded to. 60 to 70% youth dropout rate, uh, maybe even higher. I mean, we're losing so many, and yet all people want to say is, can we please focus on the good? Why would I focus on the good when my house is burning down around me? Well, at least this couch hasn't caught on fire yet. Are you serious? Are you serious? Why don't we look at it and go, let's be honest with ourselves. Let's take a deep look in the mirror and be honest, take an honest assessment of where we're at. And that's what this episode is all about. As the blueprint for this next year and for the church as we see in the future, yes, this is our belief, our take on it. We're not, this, we're not, you know, we're not ordained by God here. Uh, we're not inspired, but we do happen to see quite a bit of what we think is going wrong in the church. And so I just wanted to start by addressing, can we be negative? Yes, sometimes we can. Do we need to dial that in sometimes? Sure. But most of the time people are critiquing that because they're sick of us pointing out the ways we can improve. Until those things are improved upon, we're going to have a tough time going anywhere. Jack, what are your thoughts? I think it's very easy to be biased and notice the things going on right around us and think well, that's how it is. And so sometimes on the news you'll hear stories of, you know, there's a sickness going around. A lot of people have caught the flu right now or whatever it is. And it's almost like going, well, my family's not sick, so there mu- things must be okay. Like, that's not the point. I mean, good for you, but that's not really. And so, well, my church is strong or I went to this such and such conference and there were a lot of people there. So clearly the church is doing well. Well, hold on. And, and you'll see that every now and then where, in fact, we've even had things in response to things we've said, things Dr. Brad Harib has said, where people will post a picture of, well, I went to such and such conference, and here was all these people, and here were all these Christian young people, and, don't, you know, you really want to tell me the church is in in a, a state of decline right now? And it's like, well, yeah, I do. I'm sorry, one, one good weekend is not a sign of health. All of those young people at that rally that you, you know, you say, oh, look, the future of the church is in good hands. Well, hold on. If in 20 years they are all still members of the church, or the large majority of them are still members of the church, and they're having children and raising those children in the church and reaching the community and doing all these things, then yeah, for sure. The fact that they're there right now, we've had those same pictures every, you know, you can take 10-year snapshots going back for decades now. Most of those kids, or at least half of them, are gone. And so, oh, look, look how things are now. And so you, you zoom out to the broader view of the church in general across America. There's churches that are closing. There are churches that are on the brink of closing, a lot of rural churches uh, that don't have enough people. Something you see, something we've, we've all traveled a, a decent amount for speaking and just different things like that. How many churches we've seen where there's almost or literally nobody under the age of 40? Well, if a church doesn't have anybody under the age of 40... That's a timer ticking until that church shuts its doors. And so there's a lot of those churches without elders. How many churches don't have elders and don't really have anybody who's close to being appointed one? 
that's a sign of bad health in the church. And, uh, you know, just things like that doctrinal drift, how many churches are adding women ministers, compromising on things, compromising on sexual sins, compromising on whatever it may be. And you see these things, these things are happening. And you can say, well, my church didn't drift on those things. That's good. But just holding the line is not good enough. And, and you look at it biblically, it's kind of like the Israelites when they went into the land. They were told, get rid of the idols and all of the idolatrous people. And if you don't do that, they're going to be a thorn in your side. Well, because we stopped and we, as Joe said, rested on our laurels. Hey, we've got our doctrine right. Well, great. But guess what? We let those idols stick around and they're picking off our kids. And we don't have the leadership to you know, keep these churches afloat, much less thriving and, and affecting the community and reaching out and, and converting people. We're going to go through the same cycle Israel did. And, and culturally, we're going through that same cycle. It's almost like people are... They don't believe the data. I mean, you you mentioned like the the youth rallies and the things that that happen, which of course in and of themselves nothing wrong with them. But those things have been around for twenty years, twenty five years, right? And yet, what do the statistics still show? In fact, getting increasingly more or increasingly worse is that young people leaving the church. And so, you know, again, Jack, you already addressed it, but it's irresponsible for us to point to a youth rally or a youth conference and say, man, look at all these young people. This is great for the church when that's been happening for twenty twenty five years and the church is still declining. Um, but when you talk about kind of where is the church headed and, and the state of things right now, again, it's almost like people don't really believe the statistics. It's like they don't really believe the data. And Jack, you again addressed it in this, the idea of, well, not my church or not my kids, right? My kids are going to stay faithful. Maybe all these other kids are not going to, but my kids are. And so what we wanted to do with this episode is kind of break it down into, into a few different areas as far as no matter where you are in the church, no matter what age you are, what can you do to, again, help with the blueprint for the church's future? Because we always hear that phrase, right? The young people are the church of the future. I think there's a lot of misconceptions with what that actually means and a lot of misconceptions with the way that's taught. But when we think about the future, if you're somebody who we're, we're going to break it down with the first group that we're going to address is those who are, we've got it on our outline as old, and then in parentheses, those who are anyone 30 and over. And I know that that is, um, Uh Uh yeah, that's not probably the best, um, or that's going to hurt some feelings maybe, but what simply what we mean is you are established, you have a family, most likely you're married, you are going to be the ones raising the kids, um, or you're the grandparents, you know, basically again, 30 is kind of the benchmark. And if you're below 30, you know, you're the one, you're kind of still developing your faith and that kind of thing. And so the first area we want to focus and Joe, I'm gonna turn it back over to you. Those who are 30 and over, and maybe we need to, to break it down even further, those who maybe have kids in the house versus those who don't. When we think about this blueprint for the church's future, what do they need to do? If, if, if somebody's listening to this and they're 45, and let's say their kids are out of the house, what is the, the world kind of telling them to do right now? Hey, celebrate, man. Your kids are out of the house. You get to go do whatever you want to do. You get to enjoy your life, all these things. What does that look like for the church's future? That's a very bleak outlook for the church's future if that's kind of the the mentality. So what mentality should someone who is 45 and an empty nester be? I think that's when you go to work the most. I think when you have raised your children up, hopefully unto the Lord, you've sent them out into the world, those arrows that hopefully fly straight into the target. A lot of people, as you mentioned, will say, okay, well, now I get to relax. I get to rest. I'm tired raising my kids. And I look at it and say, this is when you have you should have the most wisdom. And this is where we get into, as Jack referenced, the, the lack of elderships that we have. We need that 45-year-old to hopefully have raised up faithful children and that 45-year-old to go, you know what? 
This church needs an eldership. I need to be a man who can be qualified, who is qualified as an elder. And instead of looking at it going, boy, I don't know how I could help around here, we need people who are willing to rise up and be leaders in the church, who are willing to consider the qualifications as their kids are being raised, maybe in their 30s, and go, man, what is the future of the church from a leadership perspective look like? So the fact that we have a lack of, of qualified elders is a real problem in the church. Why? Most of the time, they're disqualified for a few reasons. First off, maybe for marital reasons. Second off, what's the other one? Kids, faithful children. Now, we can get into the Greek and we could say that technically, Pistis is, they're faithful unto you and not unto the Lord necessarily, but they're faithful unto you. They listen to you. I don't buy it. I think these are believing children. I think those who are un, who are faithful to the Lord. And as we've talked about before, it's kind of like when we go to establish these elderships, if we can get our kids baptized at 13, 14 years old, and if we can keep them showing up to church until 18 when they move out, that showed that I did my job. Well, we've, we've lessened the, because we have so many men that cannot meet the qualifications of elders, we've just basically gotten rid of that and been like, well, if you can keep them faithful for five years, I guess that qualifies. No, it doesn't. If your kid, the moment he hits college or by the time he's out of college, has walked away, stepped away from the faith, attending a community church, doing whatever else, can we say that's a mark of faithfulness? So what can somebody that's in their 30s do? Look ahead toward what does it take to be an elder, to be a deacon, to be a, you know, somebody who's going to be leading in this church. For those who are older, if you are qualified or close to qualified, be considering an elder. That's being put in as an elder. So the first qualification is a man has to desire it. Consider desiring that role if you are in a position. If you're not because you've made some mistakes, humble yourself enough to recognize the mistakes to teach the younger generation. I'm going to jump in with, I'm going to adapt the JFK quote of, ask not what your church can do for you, ask what you can do for your church. And a lot of what you're getting at there is this idea of you have to stop looking at yourself as a consumer of what is the church going to do for me? Because we did the whole church reset series. I wrote a whole book on consumeristic mindset of church of what are you going to do for me? And churches do that. They say, we're, well, here's a program. Here's your you know youth program. Here's your college program. Here's your single program, young professional program, your young marrieds program, your family's program. Uh, now that you're empty nester, an empty nester program, and then your seniors program. And here's for you, for you, for you, for you. No, at some point, You've got to stop being the recipient of the work of the church and start being a participant in the work of the church and stop thinking about what, you know, what the church can do for me up until the day I die and think, well, what can I do for somebody else? How can I help perpetuate this church? How can I help strengthen this church? Because as we talked about a minute ago, there's so many churches where everybody 60 and up that, that's still around is still there, but there's nobody else coming up behind them. And, and so the, we become, we cater to ourselves. And I mean, there's that example that's uh, always given of, you know, the, and unfortunately, this is a real life thing that happens from time to time. Thankfully, I don't think it happens very often of the, you know, little old lady who comes up to the visitor and says, hey, you're in my seat. Get out of my seat. Like, don't do that. But that that's the example of what we're talking about of like, hey, this is for me. I always sit here. This is my church. I want it to be my way. I want things catered to me. I want the preacher to preach the way I like him. I want the classes and the programs that I want. Stop that attitude. And as as these people who are older with children, your children are out of your house, you know, whatever stage you are on this side of things, in order to look at this decline in the church and say, how are we going to turn this around? It's I've got to leave a church that's better than the one I inherited. I've got to leave a church stronger off 
I've got to make sure there are young people that I'm investing in their lives. I've got to make sure that this church is is built for the future. Uh, the the phrase of somebody's going to have to help me with this because I always butcher it. Planting trees, the shade of of which, which you will never sit under, under. which you will yeah. n- yes, you'll never sit under. That you know what? Some of the work you're going to put in, you're never going to benefit from, but somebody else is. And, and generations on, that church will still be there because of what you did. And that brings me to the other thing I wanted to bring up about somebody, about what you can do if you fall into this older category. This is not going to be a, a Generations War podcast. We already did that last year. But when we talk about the future of the church and the blueprint for the church's future, so much of that does hinge on young people. Because let's face it, the 60-year-olds, the 70-year-olds, where are they going to be in 30 years? Not to be morbid, they're going to be in the ground. They're not going to be around anymore. And so if we have a multiple generations of faithless young people that weren't discipled, that weren't mentored, that weren't invested in, that weren't developed, what's the state of the church going to be? You can use your imagination. It's not that difficult. We're not, we're going to be, you know, the numbers are just going to continue to dwindle. And so one of the things that I would, again, highly encourage anybody, if you're 40 or older, and again, kids are out of the house. Turn your focus towards developing the young people in your congregation. Actually spend time with them. So often this mindset of not just what can the church do for me, but but older people will look at the young generation and they'll think one of two things. They'll either think, A, they've got a youth group. That's the youth minister's job. They've got their fun activities. I don't really need to step in. They've kind of got their own stuff going on. Or number two, man, I really don't want to, I don't understand young people. I, they, you know, get on my nerves, et cetera. So I'm not really going to step in their path in any way. And so what you have is young people that once again, with the exception of a few typically underqualified youth ministers, they're not really invested in, they're not really developed. And so we, we get all surprised when these young people hit 22, you know, out of college and they're barely faithful. Maybe they, they come on Sunday mornings or maybe they're here two weeks out of the month. And so again, That's one of the things I would encourage somebody who's over 40. Look around your congregation. Look around at the young people you know and and, and actually ask yourself, what is it going to take to develop this young person to be faithful, to invest in them so that in in 15 years, they're not just going to be another statistic or even worse, they're not going to be one of those people who believes that a lukewarm Christian is an acceptable Christian. There are so many older people who don't think in those terms. Again, they think, let me stay out of the young people's way. Let me... Let me stay in my pew. Let me stay in my lane. The generations never cross paths. And so, again, that's the state of where we are. And we wonder why the numbers continue to dwindle, why 22-year-olds continue to leave the church. Yeah, and it's also easy, as you're talking about that, to go, well, that's not... My kids are... You know, I'm done. My kids are out of the house. And we forget that Paul is calling Timothy, calling Titus, my true child in the faith. Right? My true child. That's not, that's not Paul's son. Paul's not going to be held responsible or accountable from that perspective as a father might for his children. That's somebody that you took under his wing and he mentored him. And he said, you know what, this, this young man shows promise. He shows, you know, that he's got a heart for God and let me mentor him. Let me write letters to him. Let me encourage him. Let me help him in all of these areas. So I love your point. Well, of spending time with him, find somebody. I would encourage you. If you're an elder, if you're an older person in the church, you say, well, that's not my kid. doesn't matter. See if you can mentor somebody the way Paul mentored him and, and look at that kid and say, I'm I'm going to take charge of this kid's spirituality to the best of what I can. You're not usurping the parents, but you are doing what you can to help them in their path toward being a stronger Christian. Right, and that's what I was going to say when we were hashing this episode out. The way that 
that I put it was take on the responsibility of that young person's soul. Are you going to give account for that young person on Judgment Day? Of course, I don't know for sure, but probably not, right? That's the parent's job. That's the elder's job. That They're going to give, a, give an account for that young person's soul. But if you're somebody who, again, no, no blood relation to this young person, put the responsibility of their soul on your shoulders. Say, I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that young person is not only in heaven when they die, but also is doing whatever they can to be a warrior for Christ, not just be a, a pew warmer, not just be somebody who shows up and is a church consumer, as Jack brought up just a second ago. Take that responsibility. Again, even if you have no family relation to that young person, to put the burden or take the burden and responsibility of that young person's soul, again, not to usurp the parents, as Joe said, but put that on your shoulders and do what you can to make sure that young person, again, not only stays faithful, but is an active, participating warrior for Christ. But I wanted to ask you guys. But, no, 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 no. I mean, that's, that's so key. I want to zero in on that. I don't want that to go unmissed because that's so pivotal to this entire discussion. Why is why are we losing so many members, so many kids? Because the bar that we have set for them is, please just show up to church. Please, please. If you show up to church and at 28, we are proud of you. We love you. We're so grateful that you're still here. doesn't matter if that person will never serve in church, will never find the spiritual gift that they've been given, not from a, a miraculous, but just from Ephesians 4 perspective, understanding the ways that they can help the body, um, that they're warriors for Christ, that they're out there just beating down doors for, for Christ and saving souls or, or helping people. It doesn't matter. We just want you to show up to church. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe the expectations have been set so low for young people that imagine with your kid, and I've run across this a few times in therapy, where you got a kid, you know, or you have a, a man or you have a woman who is in their 30s, and they realize at some point, my parents didn't ever expect anything of me. It was absolute freedom, which from a kid, that's great. How exciting is that? But you know what? What does it feel like to not have anything expected of you? You don't think I'm worth it. You, you feel yeah, left alone, basically. basically. You're leaving me to my own devices. You don't think that I'm worth investing time in by raising the expectations and thinking that I could achieve greatly. You're just happy if I show up. Well, who does well with that? What if in school you're like, man, hey, son, I'm just happy if you pass the class. Who cares if it's a D minus? If you pass the class, you're all good. That's all I care about. What kid excels in that situation? I can, I can answer the question. No kid excels in that situation. What do you tell your kid? Son, I want you to be pulling A's and B's. You know, and for us, my mom's like, you're pulling A's. That's that's all you get. You're, you're <laughs> no smart enough. For B's. You're smart <laughs> enough. My parents understood the expectations that they could set for us. They understood the subjects. I got tutored in trigonometry. I got tutored in, in chemistry. I wasn't particularly good at math and science. That's why I'm a therapist, not, <laughs> not in STEM, because I, I stake at those. But you know what? They still push me. And they still got me the help. So I look at our current situation. How do we push our kids? How do we, how do we, what do we expect of them? Do we expect them to be warriors for Christ, making a difference every single day, coming up as, as leaders in their congregation? Or do we just go, son, if you could just show up for church with me one time a year, that'd be fantastic. Joe, you hit on, so, and, sorry, Jack, I'm going to give it to you in just a second. You, you hit on the first kind of practical side of this. We've, we've talked a lot about the theoretical of, you know, what can an older person do for a younger person. But practically speaking, and Jack, maybe you can get into a few more of these, that's the first thing you have to do is raise those expectations and not just lower the bar so low that they barely step over. But Jack, that was the question I wanted to ask you, unless you had a different direction you wanted to go in, which is in the realm of the practical, not just the theoretical, what are some of the other things that, again, somebody that falls like yourself into this older category, um, what can they do? 
Yeah, I was going to get there as well. Uh, I wanted to bring up something first before we get to that is as we talk about the state of the church and we say, you know, it's it's kind of a bleak outlook that statistically, if you just follow it out, the churches of Christ in 50 years, you know, where, where it's going to be, it's not good. And so we have to be realistic about that. And then we look at, okay, what can those who are in leadership now, the again, 30 and up, those older members, whatever it may be, and even if we got a really great revival of, of evangelism and all these things going on, but we didn't train up a generation after us, I've been reading through the Kings and Chronicles for a while, and I, I might have even said this on the podcast before, it's really depressing that you'll have a good king come along, he'll get it right, and then his kid just drives him right back into the ditch. And so, like, when we want to fix things, there's a lot of things we need to do now, but if we're not investing and teaching and passing these things on, it's short-term. And and so we're supposed to be thinking long-term. We're supposed to be thinking of the Great Commission and expanding the kingdom throughout all the world and, and all the things we're called to do. It has to be passed on. And so you, you talk about the practical. Raising the expectations is one. And I, I want to talk a little bit about what that looks like. Hold that thought for just a minute. Uh, you mentioned spending time with them, just mentoring and and relationships. Build relationships with the Christian families uh, in your church and help them raise the expectations for their kids. Involve their kids at the dinner table in, in biblical discussion. Say, well, what do you think about the sermon today? What what are you studying lately? You know, work with them on those kind of things. But let's talk about the raising expectations. That's one way you can do it. But within the church, I think one of the things we do, especially for young men, is think, all right, we want you to be mature or you're showing a little bit of spiritual maturity, so let's get you up to preach. That's how we're going to do this. Not an awful thing. I think all of us are, are where we are because somebody did that for us, you know, took us in our teenage years and said, you need to, you know, start working on communicating the word to people. And that, that's great. But that's not the only thing because not everyone's going to become a preacher. Not everyone is meant to be a preacher. That's not the, the gift everyone has. That's not the way they're going to contribute to the church. How do we raise expectations? I'll throw a couple things out. I want you guys to, to add on top of it. Expect them to be a part expect them to show up for things. One of the things I think that's really important is teaching them to serve. And so when there's a church potluck, teach them, hey, as the young people, you're going to serve. You're going to go uh, take out the trash. You're going to do the dishes. And and when you get older, somebody else is going to come behind you and do that. That We pass these things on. And I gave you guys this example the other day when uh, the, the soccer superstars, I mean, there's guys that have made hundreds of millions of dollars in their career, and, and the tradition used to be, and they've gotten rid of it, and, and some of the older players lament this, is as you were coming up and you were the young guy, you had to clean the mud off of the cleats, or the boots as they call them, of the, the older players. That was your job. You had to sweep up the dressing room. You had to clean things up and, and put things in order. No matter how good you were, no matter what your potential was, how famous you were, how many fans you had, you had to put in the time. You were expected to do that. And it was teaching you nobody's bigger than the team. Nobody's bigger than everything that we're doing here. And so for young people, I think one of the things we as the church can do is put them to work. Bring them in with everybody else. We'll mention the phrase earlier. Uh, we say that they're, you know, you're not the, the future of the church. You are the church. And you know where we always say that to them? At a youth rally, at a camp, at a thing where they're separated from the rest of the church. I mean, it. just think about it for a second. Bring them in with the rest of the church, but also teach them, because the thing I, I, I mentioned earlier that, oh, let's get them up and preach, we don't need to shove them up in front of everybody just yet, but say, hey, you're a cog in this machine, you're a part of it, we want you to be a part of it, let's get you serving, let's get you to be a part of what's going on here, what else do you guys have? Yeah, I would say what you win them with is what you win them too. Another part of expectations is consider, especially from a youth group perspective, 
how are you bringing the young people into your church? Is it through the laser tag and, and pizza parties? Is it from them always having fun every single time they step in the building? We just want it to be fun. We want it to be a fun atmosphere where they, they're excited to show up to church. Look, ch- praising God is exciting. But if the excitement that you're bringing them in for is for another youth, you know, lock-in, which don't get me started on youth lock-ins, a horrible idea. But, you know, for things like that where we're having a ton of, of fun all the time, what you win them with is what you win them to. So when they go off to college and they come back and there's no longer pizza parties and laser tag and we go, hey, we need you to get up and serve. We need you to go take this meal to somebody. We need you to do X, Y, or Z. It's like, hold on a second. They have had their entire life the, the church is catered to and them. That's my point life. about getting them to serve the is, is if you do the thing you're talking right. about, you are creating a consumer Christian, a person who will show up, say, right. what are you putting on for me? What have you done for me? Whereas lately? the serving thing is teaching them. You're not a consumer. You're a part, you're a valued part of this, but you're expected to do something rather than, hey, we're going to put something on for you to come have a good time. So consider, that's all I'd say. Yeah, that's exactly it. Consider what you're winning them with. Are you winning them over to Christ and toward Hey, what he says goes, and we need you. You're so important. Do you read Ephesians 4 and come away with, this Christian at 13, if I'm reading Ephesians 4 correctly, he's just as important as as anybody else in terms of bringing something to the body. Every joint supplies something. Do we let them know that, or do we separate them through youth groups until they go off to college and then expect them to actually have these deep relationships with everybody where, you know, they haven't ever had to be needed or pushed or anything else. So that would be my piece of advice. Will, how about you? Yeah, I think that's great. I think the other area that I would bring up um, before I guess we can move on is Bible knowledge. That We've got to raise the expectations with their Bible knowledge. And I think a lot of that obviously falls on the shoulders of those who are in the leadership positions, the authority uh, within congregations. But man, I, I grow so tired of us thinking that because our kids know the five steps of salvation, because they know the five acts of worship, and because we've taught them David and Goliath, that their Bible knowledge is sufficient. It's just not. You know, if, if you if you have a sixth grader and a twelfth grader, and again, the, the extent of their Bible knowledge is the plan of salvation and maybe a few Old Testament stories here and there, and we think that's a good thing, it's simply not. We've got to get them to—if you've got a, a senior in high school that does not know how to study the Bible, you failed as a parent and you failed as a church— if you've got a senior in high school that, again, is taking all these classes and is doing all these things, eight hours a day, homework in school, but they don't know how to study their Bible, man, that speaks volumes. Again, not just on the Shame parents. On us. But, right, exactly. That speaks volumes on parents, but that also speaks volumes on who's been teaching their Bible class for the last 12 years. Uh, and so that would be the other area that I think we, as the older generation, that, and that, I think that's the other problem, is the older generation doesn't have the Bible knowledge that they should either. But as the older generation, that's another area that we absolutely, practically speaking, have to raise expectations, is making sure that our young people know how to study the Bible, that their Bible knowledge continues to grow, that it doesn't just grow stagnant, that it doesn't plateau, but that they continue to figure out, this is how I study God's Word. These are the things that God expects me to know, and that they develop that habit Without just being, you know, without having the mindset of, well, yeah, I'll open my Bible twice a week, but man, that's that's for that's for within the four walls of a church building. Again, Joe, you brought it up earlier. If the expectations are so low that that's what we expect, that's what they're going to do. Let's face it. But if we raise the expectations and no, this is expected of you to be able to study the Bible and to do it regularly, man, think about what a, what a twenty year old's Bible knowledge could be if we did things that way. That's a great and, point. And let me throw this in real fast before we move on, Jack. No, I'm not going to move on. I've got on. something to add as well, but go ahead. Oh, do you? Okay, I was going to say. I was going to I was going to add one more myself. Help them understand why, because this hit me well as you were talking. Help them understand why. 
I think so many 18-year-olds go off to college knowing that fornication is wrong. They know that homosexuality is wrong. They know that, that the Bible is the inspired word of God. But, but they don't they know don't why. don't know right? why. And so when that gets pushed at college a little bit, and, and, and that gets a little devil's advocate being played, or their college professor comes along, even in Christian schools, yes, where their college professor comes along and pushes them on that, they don't know why they believe what they believe. They've just been told to do it. Well, that doesn't work for anyone. So if you're one of the older generation, make sure that you are teaching your your kids and other people, others, others' kids, um, why we do what we do. There's a reason behind everything God says, including the fornication, everything else. Make sure you're exploring the why. Jack, sorry. Yeah, no, those are both great points. The other thing I would say is pray for them. I mean, like literally, Mm -hmm. by name, pray for the younger people in your church. Pray that they would raise up godly families of their own, that they would keep that church going, that the the church would be strong in your area for years and years, generations to come, and that these people would grow up to be leaders of the church in their own right. And as you pray for them, it's going to teach you to think about them and think about their spiritual state and their souls and and where they stand before God. And, And so as you're trying to get more involved and and insert yourself into that the best way to start doing that is to pray for them put them on a list and pray for their souls and so if you are again on the older and we're saying 30 and up i don't like that designation but whatever i'll I'll let i'll defer to joe and (laughs) will on that one um these are the things we need to be doing is spending time on the younger people helping them with their bible study helping them understand why having spiritual conversations with them one of the best things we can do just in general as a church is increase our spiritual conversations with each other. And young people need that as well. And pray for them. Um, You guys ready to move on to the next one? One thing I want to say real quick, and then we'll be good to move on, is that I think, and I meant to say this earlier, one of the reasons why I think sometimes people bristle at episodes like this is because quite simply they don't like being told that what they're doing is wrong. I think, and again, young people can typically get that bad of a rap of, man, young people, they don't like it when people tell them what to do. Let's face it, a lot of older people don't like that either. And so again, I think one of the reasons that people bristle at episodes like this and at topics like this when we're, we're standing up here saying, look, this doing it this way is wrong and we need to be doing it, uh, doing it a better way this way. Again, people don't like that. Again, just ask yourself in any corporation, not that the church is a corporation, but in any, any operation, any business, in any organization, if you see the results that you're getting and you continue to get them for decades upon decades and they're not the results that you want, what should you do? You have to change what you're doing. You have to change your strategy. And for the people like us and many others who are saying, hey, let's change the strategy for, for us to be labeled as, man, y'all are just y'all are just negative, as Joe already brought up to start. Man, maybe think about if 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 we're if we want the if if we see results that we truly want to have, let's figure out how to get there. And so if we're ready to move on. That takes humility. Exactly. That takes humility. That's what it comes back around to. So that's really what all these wrap up to. For the older people in the church, please humbly look at this. Yes, we're on the younger end. Jack, I guess, is on the older end here, being 33 himself. Um, But Will and I are still on that younger end. We want to make sure we're humble in the way that we approach the older generation, the way we approach our walk with God. But that's, to your point, that's a fantastic point, Will. And to wrap that up is, please, we're just asking you, be humble enough to say, maybe I messed this one up. Here's what we should not be doing in the future. Here's how we ought to be changing that. And so we come around to the quote-unquote future of the church. We want to speak to the young men and the young women, the the 30 and under. And Will and I have, have developed a podcast specifically for men uh, ages 15 to 25. Godly young men. Launches tomorrow, episode one. Launches tomorrow, that's right. That's right. We are very pumped. Um, please check it out. I know that, that this, you may be... 
I don't know, a 70-year-old woman listening to this going, that has no appeal to me. Um, please just boost our listener numbers. But No, just kidding. Um, pass it on to people and, and show people, or, or if you have anybody in your life, a, a young man or, or anybody that you think might need it, we're hoping that this is a great launching point for them. Also for their parents, that fathers and sons can maybe watch some of these things together. And we have a crisis. If, I was, if we were going to point at one major crisis in the church, the one thing that I think is the linchpin to this blueprint the one thing that I think is is the biggest struggle in the church as I see it right now, it's a lack of godly young men. Men who really know what they're doing. Men who have a desire to step up, to lead, to, to take the baton and to move it into the next generation. We're losing them to the world. And those that we don't lose, a lot of times, don't have this dominion mindset. We are going to rule well, we're going to rule our areas of, of life so well. We're going to be godly fathers. We're going to be godly husbands. We're going to be godly men that grow up to be fantastic elders and preachers and deacons and leaders of the church. We're lacking that, and we need that. And so we wanted to do a little little crossover, but not too much, just enough to say we have a, we're excited about the podcast that's coming. But fellas, I want to kick it over to you, and, and whichever one wants to take it first, what do we want to say to the younger men, and to those that are listening to help maybe if they have young men at home or, or their grandchildren or they know somebody in their life, what's the first thing you might say about it? Well, because we've spent the last 30 minutes talking to the older people about this is what you should be doing. If you're younger than 30, don't don't listen to that and think, cool, I, I, I've got nothing that I need to be doing. That's all in the older people. No. The first thing that I would say, and coincidentally, it's the thing that we devoted episode one of the gym podcast to, which, which comes out tomorrow, you actually have to look at every single area of your life and strive for greatness in every single one of those areas. The world has gotten so comfortable, and young men specifically have gotten so comfortable with mediocrity, with just kind of being mediocre, with just kind of showing up to stuff and not really trying. In fact, we talk in the episode one about how for a lot of young men, it's kind of the cool thing to do to not try, right? If you're that guy that just kind of shows up and, you know, I'm just not really going to try at anything, that's kind of been accepted as cool. You've got you to gotta ditch that attitude. If you're somebody who's younger than 30 and that's kind of your mindset of not really trying at anything and just kind of being comfortable with being mediocre, you have got to leave that in the past. And so that's the first thing that I would say, practically speaking, is look at the areas of your life that you can control. Your spiritual walk with God, your faith, right? Um, maybe maybe you got a job, so the, the, your, your career, the, what you're working for there. Maybe you're in school, so your academics, your health, right? Every single one of those areas you have to look at and say, you know what? I'm not going to be comfortable with just being mediocre. I'm not going to be comfortable with just kind of doing the bare minimum, right? Being a, a bare minimum type of employee that just does just enough to get by without getting fired. I'm not going to be the the bare minimum uh, person who, who just does just what they need to get a passing grade. No, I'm actually going to excel. I'm going to strive for greatness in every single area of my life because, again, not to burn the entire episode because we do talk about this in the gym podcast episode one, um, if you are somebody who does not strive for greatness in one area of your life, that permeates the other areas. If you're somebody who just doesn't really try with your schoolwork and, and maybe with your job, guess what that's also going to be saying about your spiritual life? It means you're also probably not striving for greatness there either. And so that would be the first thing that I would say is, again, if you're younger than 30, as a young man specifically, look at every single area of your life and, asking, and ask yourself, are you just comfortable with, with the mediocrity that the world is telling you to be comfortable with? Are you just kind of barely getting by, doing the bare minimum? If you are, change that. Actually be somebody who tries. Actually be somebody who strives for greatness with your health, with your work, with your academics, with your spiritual walk with Christ. 
Because again, I, Joe, you, you said that this is kind of the, the linchpin for the blueprint of the, of the church moving forward. If we do nothing, which we have been doing nothing of besides raising generations of young men who are comfortable with mediocrity and not really trying that hard, if we continue to do that, this whole blueprint that we're laying out for the church is useless. It's in vain. If, if we continue to, to have these generations of young men that, again, they're comfortable with being mediocre and they're comfortable with not really having a lot of Bible knowledge, not really stepping up and taking any leadership roles within the church, if that's the product that we continue to put out there, this blueprint doesn't matter. And so that would be the first thing that I would majorly say. We've actually, as as young men, we've got to strive for greatness in every single area of our lives. But Jack, what do you, what do you have to add to that? I feel bad for young men because so much of what is given is don't do this. Don't be overbearing. Don't domineering, be domineering to your wife or all these different things. Absolutely. But what do you do? What what are you supposed to do? And, you know, that striving for greatness is a great point. Realizing, man, a lot of responsibility is going to fall on my shoulders. That's not a bad thing. That is a great thing. That's what I was created for. Uh, you know, if I'm going to be a husband and a father and you know, whether in the workplace, uh, in the church, or if I grow up to be an elder or whatever else, I'm going to grow into responsibility. And it's my job to be at my best, to be strive for greatness so I can take that on. And so be the kind of person that responsibility comes to because you are doing your best. And I think about how Paul wrote to Timothy. I'm going to look at someone in 1 Timothy 6 here in a minute, where Number one, there's the qualifications for elders that are telling you, you've got to be the best of the best. Timothy, appoint, and Titus as well, appoint the men that stand out, that are blameless, that uh, there's they're, they're above reproach, kind of the people that everyone looks at and goes, yeah, that's a guy. That is a spiritual leader I'm willing to follow because I've got nothing against him. We need guys who are pursuing that kind of, that kind of respect, that kind of self-mastery. And then with Timothy, he comes back over and over and over to say, Timothy, if you're going to preach these things and, and get these people to do this, you've got to be on top of your game too. And so we have 1 Timothy 4.12, of course, where he tells him, no, don't let people look down on your youthfulness. And the cure to people not looking down on his youthfulness was what? You set the example in love, conduct, speech, faith, purity. You be the best of the best. In 1 Timothy 6, after he talks about the you know money and the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, in verse 11 he says, But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Like, go out there and do it, man. Like, be that man. Be that warrior Christian we talked about earlier. He says, flee from the love of money and those worldly evil things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith. And so as uh, to add on to Will's talking about of pursuing greatness, realize I need to be the best I can be. Mediocrity, uh, hanging on to a, a porn addiction that afflicts so many young men, uh-uh. You've got to drop that. You've got to get out of it in whatever way you can. Check out Joe's Get Out of Porn podcast. There's so many resources these days. Give that up right now. Get that out of you because you can't be this if you have that kind of thing in your life. Your your behavior around women, uh, you know, or just whatever it may be, put away all of that stuff because you are needed to be the kind of man being called toward here. The other thing I would say, and I'll, I'll let Joe kind of run with this a bit, the brokenness culture thing is the worst. It drags you down. It gives you an excuse to not be that. Oh, we're all broken. We're all wretched sinners. Well, we were. We were saved from that. You know, in 1 Corinthians 6, such were some of you, but you're not anymore. You've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. 
But we use that, and churches are very big on that. Oh, well, we're just broken people. We live messy lives. We've got all these buzzwords. The point of sanctification is to outgrow that, to put that behind you. And what Paul's calling Timothy to right here is put all that garbage behind you. But because there's so much porn addiction in the church, because there's so much sin, because there's so much weakness that we wallow in and revel in almost, we make excuses for it. Don't take the easy way out. Don't take the excuses. I think you made a great point right there. And we've talked about this off air some. The idea that bro- with brokenness culture seems to come, you know, or, or really it seemed to kind of ramp up surrounding a lot of porn use in the church. It's very easy to point toward brokenness culture. And what it does is it normalizes it. We're all broken. That way, if my sin does come out, well, we're all broken. Instead of, I'm going to be above reproach. I got to get this out of my life. That's really, really difficult to do. So instead of of a way, Joe, to Is it kind of a way to like lower the bar for yourself? Because you kind of look around and you say, man, well, if I kind of group us all together into this brokenness culture thing, this we're all sinners thing, man, then I can really keep the bar low for me because it's low for everybody else. Does that make sense? Is that kind of... Yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly it. And I think we're hoping that everybody will view it as nobody's really going to ask that much. Nobody's really going to push that much into my sin life. So when's the last time you heard an elder talk to a guy about his sin life. I'm not in an eldership. Maybe it happens all the time. I don't know. I'm sure it happens some, but I don't see a lot of elders looking at, matter of fact, I've heard multiple stories of elders shying away from the difficult, sinful things, marriage, divorce, remarriage, things like that. They don't want to get into the nitty gritty. And when we have this, well, we're all broken. What that does is, yeah, you know, I'm a sinner. Therefore, I kind of confess my sins. We're all broken. But instead of, no, I'm really struggling with this sin and I need to, I need help. I have to, to break through this. If I can say we're broken, then it's a state of a perpetual state of being. We shouldn't be in a perpetual state of being other than being sanctified. We ought to be increasing in our holiness, getting better day after day. And to the young men, that's exactly what I challenge you to do. Are you better today than you were yesterday? Jordan Peterson has a great bit about not comparing yourself to everybody else, but comparing yourself to who you were yesterday, who you were last week, who you were last year which is going to be really easy uh, since we just started a year. Who were you last year? As you're thinking about setting New Year's resolutions and setting goals and doing all the things that typically happen, this striving for greatness and not giving in to the everybody's perpetually broken culture is key. And, And to push into different areas. Why? Why should young men? Well, I shouldn't have to do it. That's what the old men are there for. Two things. First off, the reality is just old men aren't. I'm sorry. Old men are. And, and this is sad, and I've bemoaned this before. It is unfortunate to me. This is going to sound, and I don't mean this to sound arrogant in any way. It's unfortunate to me that it takes guys, usually young guys like us, discussing these things going, man, the church is broken. How many 60 and 70-year-olds do you see coming up saying, Guys, we have a problem. We really need to do something about it. It's us no, younger they're, they're usually the ones that are jumping on us for being negative. <laughs> That's exactly it. Well, you guys are so negative. Well, yeah, because we're going to see you're dying off and there's nobody to replace you. So, yes, I, I, I look at that and I get a little frustrated that the young men have to. So to the young men, first, again, yeah, unfortunately, the, the mantle does fall to you maybe sooner than it should. Maybe you should be discipled on all of these things. You may not be. And, and I would say second is... You're still a Christian. You're still called to greatness no matter what age you are. You don't have to wait till you're 30, 40, 50 before you can start making a positive impact as evidenced by Timothy being a young man. David going out in front of the entire army of Israel. Who's the one that goes out and makes a difference? 
Yeah, uh, so uh, we're going to move on to the young women thing. Just to kind of wrap that point, which I think is a great point, don't look at these challenges. Look at the church and the state of it. Look at yourself and whether it is a pornography addiction or you're just not on top of things in your life and you're not striving for greatness or whatever. Don't look at challenges as a pain a pain in the neck is a difficulty whatever else look at it as an adventure this is what you're here for you get one life to make the most of it and so read these verses pushing timothy to excellence pushing people you know like david like daniel like joseph you know those those examples look at that and go i'm going to shoot for that i'm going to put my faith in god and be what he wants me to be so for young men develop that sense of adventure of taking on challenges and growing into who god wants you to be as for young women it's the same general advice grow into who god wants you to be but it's men and women are different and we've got to start treating them like they're different we don't treat them like they're different but they have different roles they're created for different things they're wired for different things so let's get into that young women what can young women do to be part of this blueprint for a stronger future church uh, notice you didn't want to answer that one, Jack. You, just go ahead I, you and ask know, us. <laughs> you and I both know Joe has uh, some strong thoughts here, and so uh, maybe I, I should go first, and then let's, let's probably we'll, call, uh, ease I'll go in. first. Yeah, um, Jack, you said it. We we kind of we kind of erase the God given differences and the the lines that are supposed to exist. Uh, for young men and young women. And we know the culture does it. Obviously, they're trying to make young men into young women and vice versa. But in a way, the church does it too through stuff like this. Again, just kind of grouping them all together. And so specifically for young women, what can you do? You read the New Testament. You read Scripture in general. What should a young woman at, again, we'll say below 30, let's say unmarried, do? The culture is going to tell you the complete opposite. But according to the New Testament, according to Scripture, you should be working, striving to develop an attitude of submissiveness. At the end, of, again, a lot of people are listening to this, and man, that just makes the hair on the back of their neck stand up. They bristle at that. You know, are you kidding me? That's what you're telling young women? But read the New Testament. I'm, I'm going to read actually Titus chapter two, and, and Joe is probably going to bring up maybe some other places about what. And, and the, the Titus two is perfect because what it describes is. This is what the older men should teach younger men. This is what older women should teach younger women. It's the perfect blueprint. It's the perfect thing of what Paul is is writing to Titus and saying, you know, verse 1, as for you speak things which are proper for sound doctrine, older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and in patience. Verse 3, he says, The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given much wine, teachers of good things. As I read verse 4, want everybody who's listening, specifically if you're an older or younger woman, to think about what what is the message that the culture is pushing towards young women. And think about how that compares to the light of this of verse 4. Older women, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Does culture look at any of those things that I just read as a good thing? Do young women, even in the church, who are immer- who are immersed in the culture, are they getting any of that from school, from social media, from music, from movies? The answer is no. Culture is telling them the complete opposite of what we read there. And so when we're talking about developing an attitude of submissiveness, I guess the other main thing that I would say is that if you're a young woman and you're unmarried, you have got to see through and reject the culture's depiction of what a woman is supposed to be. 
the culture's telling you woman is supposed to be the direct opposite of everything we just read in Titus 2. They're supposed to, to chase a career. They're supposed to be high-powered. They're supposed to be feminist, right? They're supposed to be uh, independent. They're supposed to be equal with men. All these things. They're supposed to reject this notion of a of being a mother and, and being a wife, and, and that's something that's bad for them and going to make them unhappy. That's what culture's telling them. If you are a Christian young woman, you've got to see through that, and you've got to reject it. So that would be kind of the, the overall broad answer to that, but Joe, I don't know if you want to get into the more specifics. Um, I want to say something real brief before we bring Joe in on that. I think, as we said at the top, the church being culturally compromised, you know, kind of conforming to the culture, following after the culture's way of doing things, people would agree to that, say, yeah, yeah, that's going on. How? Where? In what ways? You want to know what way? What Bible verses can you get up and just read the verse out of the pulpit without even commenting on it, and people get bothered about it? It's these. It's the one Will just read. It's, uh, you know, first the stuff Peter that said 1 yeah. Timothy 2, 1 Peter 3, you know, Abraham, uh, Sarah calling Abraham Lord. I mean, like, you know, just but the submissiveness displayed there. That tells you the point at which Satan has his foothold in the church. It is on things like this because of the unpopularity of this kind of teaching. Joe? Yeah, well, Will, what you were talking about, they want you to be this, you're supposed to be that. They want you to be a dude is what they want you to be. They want to take young women and they want you to compete with all of the men. They want you to, you know, stand out in your field. They want you to be the valedictorian. They want you to go into... Why? That's not where women get fulfillment. This has been proven multiple times. That's not where women get fulfillment because when the woman is at the top of the industry, even... And, and those who believe in sexism, you know, or that, that kind of would call us sexist for the, what we're talking about... They're going to say, well, it's sexism as to why more women aren't at the top of the industry or why they why they fizzle out. No, I think women aren't built to do what men do. Men are built to get their high, so to speak, off of taking dominion, taking charge, being responsible, going out and, and conquering nations. That's what men do historically and everything else. Well, no, it was just historically, uh, you know, if women were given the possibility to do it, no, no, I'm sorry. That is the feminist movement telling you that women, anything you can do, I can do better. That's not true. That is not true. It, it has never been true. You know what women are really good at? Bearing children. What does it say in, in 1 Timothy 2? Women is, uh, a woman will be preserved through the bearing of children. They continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. I'm sorry, I don't, I don't read that a woman is going to be preserved through her kid going off to Oxford and uh, coming out with you know a PhD. I don't read that. I don't see why that, where that comes into how a woman will be preserved, how a woman will be fulfilled. Children fulfill or make a woman feel fulfilled, not chasing the dream. That's what a guy gets fulfillment for. A man is supposed to take dominion outside the home. A woman is to take dominion inside the home. That's the way God intended it. All sorts of studies. And, can, and again, can prove if that. you disagree with that, if you're bristling at that, I don't mean to be. Maybe I do mean to be blunt. You're disagreeing with God. You're disagreeing. Right. You're disagreeing with Scripture. You're not disagreeing with Joe or with or with me or with Jack. You're disagreeing with the plan, the design that God originally laid out. Well, and what happens in this in this discussion is somebody will say, "Well, there are those that can't have kids." That's not what we're talking about. Somebody will say, "Well, you know, there are those that that don't get married." Yeah, that's not what we're talking about. But what we're talking about is a normative thing. The general rule of what most people should do, what God intends most people to do. Especially, you know, as especially for women, that role is be wives and mothers. That's that's literally the design. I mean, like you can look at the the male body, the female body. You can look at the wiring, the the hormones, the chemicals within our bodies that make us, you know, uh, give us the tendency toward one thing or another. And that's exactly what you're talking about, Joe. Is 
we are given these different tendencies. And so to the young women of the church, if we want a stronger future church, it's getting these roles right. It's being who God designed us to be, that telos word we talk about sometimes, the designed end. And if we're hitting our designed end and everyone is, then we're, we're the cogs in the, this machine making it run smoothly. Because we don't have that, because we've got 50 years of women, quote unquote, wearing the pants in the family, because we've got 50 years of men and women, you know, the war of the sexes and, you know, we don't need a man kind of thing. And, and now we hate children and children, eh, that's, that's just a lifestyle choice thing. That's not really something you need to do. Because we've got all this history of this, we are where we are. And so this all connects. This is not one random point in the, that's separate from the rest of it. It's if men are what they're supposed to be and women are what they're supposed to be, the church, the world, everything, the home is in a way better place. But Joe, give us, uh, you've got a story of, of this kind of thinking pervading the church. And this is not an isolated story, but it is one that, that is personal to you. No, because we could have we talked about our sisters who got the same treatment. But when my wife was... She got married young. Of course, our marriage was coming up. We had um, we were planning wedding, and she had a woman in the church come up to her and say, and really kind of get mad at her. As a matter of fact, I think she may have unfriended her on Facebook. Got mad at her um, because Alyssa didn't heed her advice. And her advice was this: Don't get married, go to college, go go travel the world, go live your life, and then consider settling down later. You don't need to get married. You're going to waste your life if you get married at 18. You need to go have fun in the world first and, again, do a lot of traveling and go have some more experiences before you're ready to settle down later. Well, I don't know. I mean, my, my three kids are glad she's here. I'm certainly glad that she stuck around. That, That's uh, literally the implication of that is that your children should not exist right now. Yeah, I mean, that's like, exactly it. You can it. say, oh, that's well, the lady exactly didn't mean that. But that would be what would happen if she had taken that advice. That's right. And this was from some, uh, you know, rabid feminists in the world? No. This was from a woman at church who was putting down the idea of marriage for this 18-year-old and, and you know, you should go explore the world. What? Where is this coming from? But our sisters got the same treatment. When they said, hey, we're not going to college, we're going to be stay-at-home daughters, we're going to, you know, we're going to pursue marriage. Do you know what garbage they were given by so many members in the church? Shame on you. I'm sorry. If you're somebody that is, it is actively pushing a girl out of, a, and, and a young woman, out of fulfilling scripture... Being submissive to her father, First Corinthians seven, looking to be submissive to her husband, looking to to be keepers at home, Titus two, bearing children, First Timothy two. If you're looking to discourage that because you want her to go chase the world, shame on you. You need to check your heart and you need to understand where this feminism came into your thinking and get rid of it because this is destroying the church. And to the young men, I'll say this real fast since I'm on a roll. To the young men, step up and do not ever allow this garbage in the church going forward. You need to see feminism as the the disease that it is, and you need to put an end it's to Satan's it. It's Satan's weapon men, is what it is. If the older men in the church stood up to this, maybe we wouldn't be here. Clearly, they didn't. They dropped the ball. It's time for us young men to come along and go, feminism's killing us. Well, hold on, hold on. Toxic masculinity, right? And we want to make sure, we need to make sure we're not lording it over our wives and we're not taking advantage of the women. I'll let you know if we hit that. We are so far from that happening, that is not what our concern needs to be. Our concern needs to be men standing up to their wives, men standing up to the women in the church that are gossiping, that are that are you know speaking to the elders in their elders' ear and, and causing all sorts of issues. We need to be standing up to those women, putting them in their place. We need to be standing up to those, the 60-year-old telling my wife, my soon-to-be wife, go chase, go chase things in the world, 
go, go to college, go travel, instead of having families, uh, having a family, instead of being the submissive, amazing wife that she is, instead of doing that, how about you go out and, and do what everybody else in the world tells you to do? Are you kidding me? Somebody needed to put that woman in her place and go, that's wrong, you're in sin. Knock that off. We need men that are going to step up and do it. So to the young men in this podcast, hopefully listen to this podcast, be the guy who's going to do it. Unashamed, unafraid of saying the difficult things. We've got to turn the ship around. You talk about a blueprint for the church. This is where we need to stand. Men being men, women being women, and for the people that are, are trying to push those to the opposite directions, enough. I, I truly can't imagine the discouragement that young women who, like Alyssa back then, who, who, have, who have set marriage and who have set motherhood as, as something to be prioritized, who have set that as their goal, I can't imagine how discouraging it must be. Again, like you said, Joe, not from some feminist professor, not from somebody in the world, but from someone in the church to say, hey, you'd be better off posting you know, pictures in, in Miami on Instagram. You'd be better off going out and, and trying all these great foods in all these other countries and, and, and doing all these things. Basically... Go ahead and have your fun now because when marriage happens, you're not going to, that's all going to stop, right? Your life's going to be miserable. That's the message that we're sending. That's the message that people who, who push that type of thing are sending. And so the only other thing I'll say on this is that if you are a young woman who you have followed the biblical pattern and made motherhood and made being a wife, made that your priority and something worth aspiring towards, something worth striving for, toward, you're going to have to be ready and you're going to have to be mentally prepared for the weird looks. You're going to have to be mentally prepared for the shocked looks and the, well, aren't you going to go to college question? And the, wow, are you, are you sure that's something that you want to do with your life type of questions? And again, Joe, you hit on it. Typically, that doesn't come from men. That comes from the older women. Um, but that's the last thing I'll say is that if you are a young woman who, again, you've, you've prioritized that, you're going to get the weird looks. You're going to get the, the strange, the shocked questions. You're going to get kind of ostracized and it's going to, sadly... It's going to come from people who are in the church. And again, props to you young women who pushed through that. People like your wife, Joe, who who ignored that terrible advice. You can't even call it advice. But who ignored that and said, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow God's pattern. I'm not going to follow your twisted advice. I'm going to follow what God said. Props to the young women who do that. It's pervasive in the church. And, and Jack, you had actually posted, so I'll turn it over to you here in a sec. You posted on this. We see this with the Barbie trailer. And you actually got a, a few people, Jack, I think that were like, when you, you talked about it, and for those that don't know, I'll briefly describe it and then turn it over to you. In the Barbie trailer, I think they're trying to do uh, 2001 this is a Space for the, Odyssey. The upcoming Barbie movie, yeah. Correct, yeah, upcoming Barbie movie. And, um, I think it's like a minute teaser, something. And yes, there's a modesty warning, um, of course, and so it, it's, it's Barbie. What do you expect? Um, but what it has in the trailer is these young girls playing with their baby dolls, and when Barbie comes in, they literally take their baby dolls, they swing them up in the air, and they smash their heads on the ground. And honestly, I was like disturbed, very, very disturbed. I thought it was disgusting. I thought it was horrific, and I thought it was you. The, you can't miss the allusions that's to, to exactly abortion to abortion and to, like and yeah. to the family going, you know, smashing the family for this Barbie doll who goes and chases, you know, fame or fortune or whatever it may be. Uh, in, in my opinion, I think it was very, very clear. But Jack, you had some people on your status who didn't seem to get that. Yeah, it, the phrase that you got is, well, it's just telling girls, little girls, they don't have to be wives and mothers. They can be anything they want to be. And and so they don't they don't need to be limited by that. But the problem is the Barbie lifestyle didn't tell women to stop having sex. 
So something was going to have to give. And go back a few episodes to our episode with Dr. Brad, where we talked about birth control and things like that, the abortifacient pills, the abortion itself. Uh, I mean, like, all the things we're doing, it literally ends up in babies' heads being smashed like they are in the trailer. And so... No, this this lifestyle that they're ex- they're being told and, and advertised to them. If this is going to be so great, number one, the babies still happen, and you've got to clean up that mess somehow. But number two, as Joe said earlier, nobody's happy with this. Nobody like I mean the the antidepressant use, the uh, I mean like all of the things that go on surrounding this. It's no good, and we look at what God has given us, and it's good. And so. I imagine there might be somebody listening going, hey, this young men, young women thing has really gotten far off the path for the blueprint for the church going forward. No, it hasn't. Because if we can't get individuals and their individual roles right, and we can't get the family and the home right, how do you think we're going to get the church right? The church is made up of families and it's made up of individuals. And to add to that point, as we've brought up a few times, read through 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus the three letters in the Bible we have written to church leadership. And you know what it is spends so much of its time doing? Teach the women this, teach the men this. Raise up men who can lead and take responsibility in this way. Raise up women who can do this, and women who don't gossip, and women who put themselves to the work of the church and to the work of the family and to the work of loving other women and their families and teaching them to do the same thing. These are the things that make up the church and the life of the church. And again, we talk about how weak the church is right now. It's because of things like this. It's because churches are full of women who are going to tell young mothers and wives, you're wasting your life. It's because churches are full of men who have said, yes, dear, happy wife, happy life for the last 50 years, and let women run the eldership and and the gossip chain go on in church. All these things, literally, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, they're going to want to gossip. Stop them. They're going to want to get involved in this stuff. They're going to want to usurp authority. Don't let them do it. This is why they're not allowed to preach and teach, because their way of claiming godliness is through a modest and quiet, submissive spirit and all of these things that we're talking about. We don't have those. How do you think the church is going to thrive when these basics aren't being fulfilled? And so when we're talking about going forward as the church, what are we going to do? How, how is this, you know, what what's the blueprint for getting better? Godly fathers and husbands godly wives and mothers raising up godly children taking this on and and realizing you know what we have just lost two maybe three straight generations where we've lost the majority that's why our numbers are so in decline and even if we all went out and baptized somebody one per person in the entire church of christ in america we'd just be a few generations away from squandering it if we can't keep our own kids and so the best thing we can do is raise up generations where you're going to be sure there won't be churches missing everybody under 40 years old how do we do that? Strengthen the homes, strengthen fathers, strengthen the wives, strengthen uh, mothers, wives, husbands. Make Older sure we teach get the younger. that right. Young men, step up. This, Young women, understand your roles. This goes to the, the, what I brought up in our holiday episode about, I think we overemphasize evangelism. And again, that, that sounds shocking, but I think it's because we, we underemphasize this, exactly what we're talking about here. You know, we, we view this as something that is not worth teaching, we view this as something that, man, that's kind of getting into other people's business if we teach these type of role things. This is the stuff, as, as Jack already said, this is what is going to carry the church into the future. This is what's going to to lay out the recipe for our churches to grow. Evangelism is great. I'm not saying don't evangelize. Baptism, obviously, we need to fulfill the Great Commission. But if we're doing those things and all the while we're letting our families grow more and more worldly and we're letting our young men continue to shirk their responsibility and continue to accept mediocrity and we're allowing our young women to to reject the roles that God has, has clearly laid out and designed for them, great. 
you know, awesome that we're going out and doing all these other things. We are, we have a massive hole in our congregations that we're allowing people to continue to fall through. That's why, again, as we bring this episode full circle with people saying, man, you guys are really negative. It's the, the, we're not doing it. We're not teaching these things. We're not expecting, we're not raising expectations for young men. We're not laying out these rules for our young women. And listen, at the end of the day, we'll be positive when there's something to be positive about, I think is the best way to put it. And so guys, I don't know what else you have to add to this as we kind of get ready to wrap this episode. We want the church to excel. We want the church to grow. We don't believe this is a ship that can't be turned around. We don't believe that we're already too far down the slippery slope. But at the end of the day, it's going to take fathers teaching this to their sons. It's going to take fathers and mothers teaching this to their daughters. And if we don't, if we continue down this path of just kind of allowing the culture to shape our kids and we continue down the path, as we discussed, of older members neglecting young people and, and leaving that to other people, this blueprint is going to be useless. As I said a second ago, it's going to be in vain. It's not going to matter. So that's why we are so passionate about this. And that's why this is so serious. It's out of love for the church. I mean, if it's in decline, which it statistically is, you got to do something about it. I mean, just saying, plugging our ears, burying our head in the sand and saying, everything's great, everything's great. Hey, we went to a rally and there were a lot of people there, so we're fine. Okay, but the decline's going to continue. I mean, literally the first step is looking and saying, something's got to be done. And that from then we can start working our way back, which is what we hope to have done with this episode here today. Um I don't think we have anything else. We'll be back again. Check out the gym podcast tomorrow. Subscribe to the feed right now. It's it's up on whatever podcast app you use. Our YouTube channel. It will be a video podcast. Joe and Will um, are on video talking. You can uh, look at them. You won't have to look at my face. So there you go. Uh, yeah, it's, it's worth apologies subscribing in advance to. for. Well, I can't emphasize enough. I can't emphasize enough. Again, I know a lot of our listener demographic is not young people. Man, tell tell your the young men in your life about this. You know, if you think this is something they can benefit from, which obviously prayerfully we hope that it will be, man, let them know. Young men, young people are on YouTube. That's why we're putting it on there. So make sure you you let the young men in your life know about this. We're really excited about it. But yeah, episode one dropping tomorrow, so be sure and check that out or have the young men in your life check that out. I'm gonna say elders, preachers, youth ministers, use this material. I mean, like you you can use it for I mean, discussion, bring this stuff about, put it, use it in your Devo, show these things and, and follow up with it. I mean, there's, it's really good material, good, useful resource that these guys are bringing you. And so make sure you're checking that out, uh, helping us spread the word about that. And we will talk to you guys next week.